0: Hello and welcome to the first episode of From the Brink, the Hitching Post podcast. My name is Clay Grossman. I'm joined by my wonderful co-host Colby Reynolds and Paul Dillinger. So our podcast, this is the Hitching Post. We're going to do a little quick introduction of everybody. Say kind of where our ideologies align, our roles with the Hitching Post. Sort of get into a bit of the... The Hitching Post name, the From the Brink podcast, and a, a little bit about the founding foundation of the Hitching Post today, and and sort of get a little bit of a, a taste for, for what's to was to come with this with this podcast. So I'll start with I'll start with you, uh, Colby, our our, our co host here. Tell us a little bit about your background. Now. So
1: like you said, I'm Colby Reynolds. I'm a mechanical engineering student here at Texas Tech. I transfer here after a year at community college. Uh, I'm well on my way to getting my degree in the next two years, but that's I'm a pretty pretty solid right conservative uh i believe in the american first policy uh strong family values with the uh, country's law and a biblical standpoint pretty much with biblical foundations um i'm a trump fan I, I really am i know it's a bit controversial these days but i'm a trump fan and uh that's pretty much it
0: okay and who's your who's your like deep deepest uh like uh, conservative influence right Uh, outside of fan outside of maybe family i'd probably say ted cruz or uh ronald reagan and uh what's your probably number one issue with conservatism speaking probably gun rights gun rights
1: gun rights are uh the rise of communism in the states
2: yeah and what about you paul uh, okay, so I'm Paul Dillinger. I'm a dual major of uh, mechanical engineering and history. I'm the former treasurer and vice chair of YCT, and I'm the cur- current editor-in-chief of The Hitching Post. Uh, as far as my ideology, uh, I mean, the kind of the joke in YCT is that I'm the token neocon, but uh, to get a little deeper into it, I kind of agree with the... Kind of the, ver- the um, the fusionism kind of view that uh, that kind of took over during the 80s with Reagan. Uh, It's the fusion between uh, libertarianism to to some degree, not the full like kind of ANCAP view of it, but and then also like traditional conservatism, uh, uh, like social conservatism. So I kind of like, you know, balance all those points. Uh, To me, I think one of the biggest issues is uh, fiscal conservatism, even though it's kind of on the wane, like there really are no fiscal conservatives anymore in Congress Um, I, I don't like to describe myself as being anti-anything, but, like, as far as my view, I am fairly anti-populist, and I was, like, highly critical of Trump. Uh, and as far as the biggest conservative influence, I think probably Ben Shapiro. Yeah, I think if we're all being a
0: little honest with ourselves, Ben Shapiro is... No, He's sure. at least at least in the S tier, oh, yeah, S top, yeah. as far as uh, conservative influences go for our generation. And well, last but not least, myself. Uh, my name is Clay Grossman. I'm a sophomore, public relations and political science major. I'm currently serving as the vice chairman of uh, YCT at Texas Tech University. I'm also the copy editor of the Hitching Post uh, publication. <laughs> right. Um, I'd say ideology, ideologically I'm probably more libertarian leaning than Paul, uh, especially when we get to down to concern, uh, social issues, especially foreign policy, um, fiscally I probably am, uh, I, I would probably say I'm the most right on this one, I'm the most anti-government, I don't believe in, uh, say city zoning laws, um, I don't believe in minimum wage, uh, statutes at any, at any level, um. Foreign policy-wise, I think that would probably be the staunchest uh, disagreement between Paul and I if I had to, if I had to pick just one. Um, I mean, I don't really think we should have been in any wars. Maybe, I can argue the Gulf War, probably, but uh, at the end of the day, less less foreign intervention is probably good in my, in my view. Um, I would say if I, if I had to pick one conservative influence, it would be uh, Thomas Sowell. I, I remember uh, probably the first real dense uh, conservative book I read was Basic Economics. Um, I've read a few books by him now. His history of Marxism it reads like a textbook, but if you can get through it, you'll you'll actually learn a lot more about what Das Kapital was trying to get and what Marx was trying to get at. Um, so above all else, I think uh, I think Thomas Sowell is my my number one influence. Now we started the Hitching Post, all you know, you and I, with the help of uh, Collegiate Network and the uh, Intercollegiate Studies Institute. Uh, what Ed, february 1st was our official launch date take us through the process paul if you will with 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 the hitching post getting it off the ground and where where we're kind of trying to go with our mission statement and everything like that man
2: yeah well i mean with starting with uh, a paper we had a lot of people who were really ambitious and really wanted to uh get their opinion out there the problem with that is like uh kind of honing that and not just letting people like not turn it into a blog and just let them say what their opinion is and throwing that on the internet, uh, just to kind of read off part of our mission statement. Um, our paper strives to move move past being anti left and begin to figure out what conservative means at its core. Um, and so, one of the things that I've really focused on uh, as an ideal now not to say that we always live up to this, but I try to get people not to just build up straw man arguments for the left and then so they can knock it down. Uh, I want people to like you know really like see what the left believes and not just like what you know, the dumbest person on the left believes, but, like, what, you know, intelligent people on the left believe, look at what their core argument is, don't take it out of context, say what, you know, What how, like, still man their argument, and then, like, try to find fault with it. Uh, And I think that's a better way of looking at it. Like, too much, like, conservative media is junk food, and it's just, like, you know, you hear people, like, oh, you know, Ben Shapiro owns, like, X person. Like, okay, yeah, but that person was kind of an idiot. Like, there are... Uh, to act like there aren't smart people on the left is disingenuous, and I think we should try to like, engage your arguments in, like, a serious and good-faith um, good, uh, good faith way. Yeah, at every level. I think the... the, the
0: one of the best things about... Uh Right wingers is we, we do try to we well, some of us at least I can't yeah. say all <laughs> we try to build up our own arguments because you're you're always sort of walking on eggshells uh, with modern modern day culture with your with your political beliefs right so what we try to strive for as the Hitching Post as you know, you know young conservatives right uh, is to build up our own arguments not to not to man anyone but to to see them as they are and to see them as they are as wrong right and why why we why can we why we can put a, uh, a tentative plan. There to to uh, to really argue it right now. The name of this podcast is from from the brink right. Uh, What we we talk about is that can be that can be a double entendre right. We talk about it meaning from the brink of uh, leftism right right from the brink of a a a world where we're like we say Colby we're we're on the brink of a a more socialist leaning lean country. So at at all levels even though we all represent three tenets of conservatism. Myself, probably more libertarian. Paul, more of a return to neoconservatism, a little more old-fashioned with social views, right? And Colby, with the uh, new populist Trump wave, right? At any level, at all levels, we probably agree that we're on the brink of a... Uh, we're, from, we're on the brink of a more leftist, socialist country, right? But the second meaning would probably be that, that we're on, also on the brink of of, sh- of shifting what a conservative means, right? So what we're going to try to do is is uh, demonstrate why we're from the brink of a, a more left-leaning country and we're on the brink of a, uh, a more, I want to say, ideologically uncohesive conservative movement,
2: right? That is definitely an issue that we're all facing. Uh, I should also say that it's not necessarily that it's just going to be more left-wing. Like, a lot of our institutions are collapsing, and we can't blame the left. I mean— I would argue that they're contributing to this, but a lot of it is just like on a social level, a lot of uh, things collapse, like the family structure for one. I mean, you know, the fact that, and this is the more traditional conservative part of me talking, but the fact that uh, I think religion is down led to the, you know, rising of the divorce rate and also the boom in uh, single mother uh, uh, births. Uh, and I think that's kind of led to a lot of the problems we have today. We have so many, uh, you know, kids that grow up without, like, a you know a father in the household or, you know, just living with one parent. And clearly that's, you know, manifesting some serious problems there. And then, like, to the, the kind of religion, like, I think, unfortunately, on the left, but growing on the right as well, people are associating their politics with their religion. And when you do that, I mean, you... Basically, made the government God, which is a serious problem. I think we would all agree. Oh, yes. I, I think, we'll, above all else, we do not want uh, a a
0: government type uh, where the government is viewed as God by some people, at least to uh, what. Uh, well, that's how the they state. view themselves
1: these days.
0: I mean, if you hear some it, it's, it's, uh, it's very true. A, a man and a woman to that is what I, <laughs> I would say. Uh, but transitioning into kind of what we wanted to talk about today, we've, we've already established uh, sort of where we all align, right? But but one of the things the GOP is now going to be facing, uh, and conservatives at large really, I shouldn't box everyone in with the GOP, is what does what the future of, of conservatism look like in, in your view? Colby, if you if you got a magic wand and you could direct the, the GOP, if you could direct the conservative base towards one direction, what direction do you, would you like that to go in? What, where do you like to see the party moving forward in this, this heightened political climate and this post-presidential Trump?
1: Probably more, at least in Congress, more uh, fiscally conservative. I guess stop letting the left get away with so many things. Uh, Actually, like, stop them in their tracks. That's what I'd try to take the party to do, which would obviously, I mean, that creates strife, but I mean, we we can't keep going on like this, or else it's it's not going to end well.
0: Right. And, Paul, what, what would you say, in your mind, would you like to be the future of the GOP? Where would you like us to go as a, as a movement, just moving forward?
2: Well, I mean, ideally, I would like us to, one, I think the, like, we were looking for a strongman, and we have kind of that, or we had that in Trump, which I think was really bad. Like, I was super annoyed with every, uh, like, politician has to go through the motions of bending the knee and act like, you know, when he'd say something stupid, like, well, we have to defend it. Like, why? Like, oh, I know why, because they're worried they'll get primaried because Trump was mad at them. And so, you know, you get a populist, like, you know, person to primers, like, well, hey, he wouldn't back Trump. So, you know, he's a rhino, which is one of the most overused words. If I, you know, could wa- wave a wand and like decide how, what the future of the party was, I would like us, like Colby said, to be more fiscally conservative. Um, Unlike him, though, I don't, I don't actually think it's like the Republicans weren't uh, holding the left accountable. I mean, like, you know, elections have consequences. Like, you know, we lost the House in 2018, and then we lost, you know, the other two branches, or, you know, we lost the Senate and the executive branch in 2020. So, I mean, that's just what happens. It's the consequence of it. I think we've actually become better at, you know, we're, as a party, we're probably more unified. There's, I mean, there's, there's a couple who are outliers, um, Lisa Murkowski and um, Collins. But, you know, in, in Collins' defense, at least, she's from a fairly blue state. So I don't expect why you'd expect her to be, uh, you know, really conservative. And, you know, she's a product of, you know, what her constituents want. And they want a more moderate, you know, uh, Republican. But, yeah, I'd like us to be more fiscally conservative. And I would like us to hold the principles. Another thing I got kind of annoyed with, with the uh, um, RBG... Uh, uh, when, you know, when she passed, uh, when we replaced her, uh, a lot of people kind of put themselves in a weird situation where they try to come up with an excuse for why we held the vote up for the 2016 election uh, after Scalia died. We should have always been honest. Like, look, we control the Senate and we are entitled to not have a vote if we don't want to. And, but instead, they say, well, no, we, we want the people to decide. And you know, we, you know, we should wait till the election. Like, that was always a BS excuse, and it kind of hurt us when we came around because we all looked like hypocrites. Like, I'm glad yeah, we... That was
1: pretty bad. I, yeah. I'm still on... I mean, now in retrospect, it would have been really bad if we waited till after the election, but it, it obviously, like you said, would have looked better if we waited till after the election to get the other justice in the court.
2: Oh, you mean with... Uh, or, uh, a- ACB. ACB? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but we, we didn't win that election, so... Yeah. Like, but, I mean, no, I don't... I'm actually a little... I'm not a... I'm not opposed to that. The fact that we did. Well, actually, I take it back. At the time, I watched just because I I thought it will give the left left a justification for packing the court. Now, thankfully, Joe Manchin and now surprisingly, Chris and Cinema are actually both against that. So uh, we are very grateful to, for Joe Manchin for you know. Oh, for hallelujah! Not- Joe Manchin is the savior of the Senate right now. No. Because, <laughs> now I want to ask y'all both this,
0: since we we do all all have different perspectives. I think on this. Colby how do you think the the era of Trump will will be viewed in, in the in the panels of history right uh, and not by the way we're assuming a neutral textbook not a leftist textbook that's really well, writing this one right that's going
1: to be pretty much impossible judging by the Department of Education oh for sure influence but um, I'm I'm thinking it'll just be as divided as it was whenever he was in office I'm thinking it'll be the ones who loved him loved him and the ones who hated him will just keep hating him and yeah. then, uh, like I said, the textbook will just teach the younger generations yeah. to hate. Them.
0: And uh, in your per- but in your personal view, what what do you think the era of Trump will be will be defined as? Right? Do you think it will be defined as good in your opinion? I yeah
1: yeah I, I think it. Um, one big key thing of his administration to look at uh, that's very important to the individual is I think. Uh, him cutting all these stupid regulations that were just taxing the crap out of businesses and cutting the business tax too. That was huge. So like, the individual should be very, very happy about that and how like, all these regulations aren't keeping them tied up or anything and like I said, the business tax, they can make more money. Our economy was prospering. That's one thing that keep the left can't ignore. the economy was great. Texas had the largest export of oil ever, I think, in 2018 whenever I got here to tech. Uh, so, like I said, one thing the left won't be able to ignore is how great the economy was, yeah. um, but the Trumpers, I guess, if you can call them that, I guess the right, like my, us, would, will remember it as like a, uh, pr- pretty good for the individual.
0: Yeah, I think uh, it goes back to the old uh, uh, James Carville quote, right, uh, it's the economy, stupid, Right? <laughs> uh, that was associated with, I mean, I know he worked for Clinton, but I thought that Clinton had said that. He, uh, he, uh, he worked for Clinton, so it kind of gets mm. boxed in with, with uh, Bill Clinton on that one. I thought
1: one. that was in a debate against like, Clinton or Bush. No, James I'm Carville. Sure.
0: I think, uh, I'm pretty sure it was James Carble who, who uh, said I mean, it. Right. Obviously, the famous uh, political political commentator and advisor. Um, but yeah, it's the economy, stupid, right? Uh, I th- I honestly, in your opinion, do you think Trump would have won had uh, COVID not happened uh, and the economy had still been? At its current rates, what about how do you both y'all feel about about this? About that?
1: I I mean there, there's a good chance I, I've heard some people say he would have if the virus didn't happen, but um, I I think so. But I, I I'm one of the believers of like there's outside forces with the el- election. I, I'm sorry, that's just mm-hmm. how I am. That's just the stuff I've seen. That's my perspective coming yeah. to the table, but.
0: Uh, how do, how do you feel, Paul, as well, about about the Trump era as a whole? Do you think he would have won if, if the economy had still been if, uh, the way it was in January 2020, right? Yeah. Uh,
2: well, I guess I'll go back to the original question. is like how I think like a neutral textbook would view Trump. Um, like, yeah, I think if there's neutral textbooks in the future, we've already basically won. Um, <laughs> I, mean, I, I think that is the goal. Like, I don't want them just to you know, give right-wing propaganda, like, I'd like, you know, to look at the flaws of both, you know, right-wing and left-wing administ- administrations, you know, objectively, I think, you know, you'd have to give Trump credit for, like, the deregulation, but, I mean, larger is definitely his uh, influence with the courts, I think they said, like, a third of, like, oh, federal uh, judges, yeah, right, yeah. were appointed by Trump, and they were good, and that's really just kind of tells you how influential the Federalist Society has become. Um, oh, yeah, if I may bring it up, yeah, yeah. The, the, towards the end of his administration,
1: the 9th District Court out of California started making, like, conservative rulings, didn't they?
2: Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I thought I heard of a in. couple, like,
1: oh, yeah, they got rid of the magazine max ban.
2: Oh, They ruled
1: that illegal in California. Like, the 30 round max, or no, 5 oh, round mag yeah. max thing? Yeah, they actually, like, threw that out the window, which surprised me.
2: So, yeah, he'll definitely have, like, you know, be credited with some influence. Now, I don't, that has less to do with, you know, his own ideology and just the fact that he found a good way to throw red meat at conservatives was appointing conservative (laughs) judges Um, to his credit. Now, I think people, you know, also forget, like, not all of his Supreme Court justices were good picks. Like, ACB is undeniably a good pick. But yeah, Kavanaugh, like, you know, I mean, that became a very hot-button political issue because of the Me Too, like, stuff. But at the end of the day, he's, I think, closer to Roberts than he is to, you know, Alito. What about Gorsuch? Gorsuch is a very principled constitutionalist, mm-hmm. uh, but he does come from the Kennedy kind of school. It's like my rulings are going to be based off what gives people more individual freedom, and that's does not always completely align with the Constitution. The fact that, like, his most recent ruling uh, where they read into Title IX transgender rights, and he even admitted, it's like, well, nobody would have construed this at the time the bill was written it's like okay well stop right there that that does from a, a constitutional kind of uh originalist perspective that should mean you're done but he's like but because transgenderism and sexual orientation are based on your gender then you have to read it into that i was like well that's nonsense um so like issues like that then he was also uh on the left side when they were like I mean, it's a little more complicated than this, but they, like, gave half of Oklahoma back to a Native American tribe. Yep. Uh, I was like, mm. Wait, when did that happen? Uh, uh, I think at the beginning of last year. Really? Yeah. They just expanded a reservation? No, I mean, like I said, it's a little more complicated. It's more of just a jurisdiction, so they said you can't—it it happened because of, I think, it was in an execution? Uh, uh, it was it, an old treaty, that we had based, uh, we had signed with the Native American no, tribe. No, but the, the the case came because they were gonna. I thought it was gonna execute,
0: but it might have just been a. Got, it went to Yeah, it was an it was an execution. It was a criminal charge. But the reason that yeah. they were able to uh, the uh, Native American tribe was able to get what the land around Tulsa and mm-hmm. uh, it was like is I think it was about a third of Oklahoma technically. Back was yeah. was the uh, was the old was
2: old treaty. But it's not like the reservation can like collect taxes on half of Oklahoma. It's just like as far as jurisdiction goes on, I guess criminal cases it's actually, the, the reservation is supposed to have jurisdiction over those cases. So, you know, but yeah, that was kind of, I mean, even Roberts was like, no, like, clearly, like, they've moved past this when they made Oklahoma a state, you know, so I want to kind of pull it back. So, I mean, that's kind of um, back to the textbooks, the, the magical neutral textbook. Uh, I think they'd have to be skepti- or very critical of Trump on, like, a lot of issues. I mean, and one of the most th- annoying things is, like, people, like, the, because the left has gone so crazy— uh, the right would, like, defend anything Trump did. Like, objectively, like, some of these scandals were pretty bad. Like, okay, a president who's in trouble for having slept with a porn star while his wife was pregnant. Like, yeah, that would have been big news with anybody else. I mean, with maybe with the exception of Clinton. But even Clinton got <laughs> and he impeached over his, like, sex scandal.
1: But wasn't that prior to his administration, though?
2: Oh, it was well. It, well, it, it was the issue came up with during the campaign because he had had somebody. But I mean, even that should be like something people are ashamed of. It was like, ah, you know, there were so many jokes about. It. No, but the issue was that he had, you know, with this slush fund money, had paid her to keep quiet so it wouldn't hurt him during the election. Uh-oh. Now, I agree that that shouldn't be illegal because people were saying like well, that's a campaign violation. You have to you have to report that. And I was like, well, no, because that would be saying that you could pay off women you slept with, with campaign money, which nobody would suggest is okay. Nobody would say, like, oh, yeah, yeah you can pay off, like, you know, you know, prostitutes with campaign money. That's ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, uh, and this isn't to say, like, I think we, we kind of forget, past presidents have been pretty ridiculous. Like, uh, JFK's brother had to deport... Uh, a woman because she was a Russian spy, and JFK wouldn't stop sleeping with her. So it's not like... <laughs> I um, have no idea yeah. about that. So it's, you know, and then I, there was a story where, like, we were worried about the Russians were about to nuke us, and they couldn't, like, tell Nixon because he was, like, so wasted. So basically Kissinger had to handle the situation. Um, so, like, it's not like past presidents haven't been ridiculous. But we went into an error that, you know, we became, you know, we... Uh, I mean, Trump basically built a cult of personality around him, and we were willing to forgive so many things. And on, like, an objective level, I feel like we had a lot of fights that really only weakened us. Like, uh, you know, some of the things Trump said, I I, I think, were indefensible. Like, the uh, Elon Omar thing, like, oh, she should go back home. I'm like, okay, like, why would you associate that? Even if, like, deep down you're not, you know— a, anti-immigrant or against you know you're, you're not a racist like okay but that's things that has been associated with like racist in the past telling people like go back to where you came from like so it was a stupid fight and people tried to the the meme the 40 chests like yeah. oh well he's trying to get the left to like get closer to the squad so that's why he did that as a little force to defend I was like no it, it was just stupid like yeah well I'll say this much about Donald uh, Trump you're exactly right Paul
0: with the I think he did build a cult of personality around himself oh, yeah. I, I don't think there's any any denying that I mean You look at especially at his... um... Just look at his merchandise. Well, Well, I don't don't know. I have a a pair of uh, Trump playing cards, so (laughs) I I think I may have bought into that one a little bit. But, I mean, you look at his uh, 2000 campaign platform uh, when he was running for the Reform Party, right? Really truly the only thing he kinda of stuck with it was um, was his trade policy. I mean he was pro universal health care. Uh, so so you look at some of the like, some of his beliefs they they definitely were not conservative conservatively rooted. Now now the uh, the question it's is of a,
1: it's kind of a switch back on him, though, because he was trying to get rid of Obamacare back right when he got in office, right? He was. He was pushing Congress to get rid of it. He campaigned on, on he got rid of some of it, the mandate, right? He, he did a,
0: He did sort of co-opt there, but again, he kind of had to force his hand on it. That was the issue the R- Republican Party was running on from well, basically 2010 onward. Well, originally right?
2: it was repealed, and it was repeal and replaced, so we, uh, I mean, it was easy, and this is the problem with Republicans in general, they were very willing to like vote against it when Obama was president, because like, oh well, this will get vetoed, so who cares? Uh, but when it became time to like, oh yeah, we'll actually have like the sure. power to do something. They're like, well, I don't know, like well, healthcare is kind of a losing issue, so
0: why? You to know. be fair, um, I think it is a bit of a Higgsian ratchet. You know, the, the Higgsian ratchet. It's basically a uh, a situation where the government gets involved in something and the people start to like it. Uh, there would be maybe initial blowback, but it kind of just sticks around, right? Because uh, people start to like it, and yeah, in so I don't, Texas. yeah. A lot of uh, people well, like yeah, that. Yeah, people like it. I mean, yeah, it, but yeah, but, yeah. but the, be that as me. I think with with the uh, scandals, the, the pointless fights we got in with Trump. Uh, I I think I'm reminded of the s hole one a lot. Uh, yeah, what?
2: Uh, I won't say it on the podcast, but you know, what called it, Haiti a you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. So okay. I mean, yeah. Now. To that point, like, I thought it was completely dumb, like the way the less, like Oh, this no. proves he's a racist. Like, no, I mean that was just kind of. I mean, it was a dumb thing to say. Be, be that as may as it may, what I'm trying to say, what
0: I'm trying to get at is the the real testament to uh, Trump, whether the whether the fact that Trump built a cult personality around himself, or that he got us involved in a lot of pointless fights, right, the, you know, I think it will really uh, come down to, and the, the defining element of the Trump era will be uh, if it is a long-term damage to the, long-term damage to the GOP, right, and I think the really, really the testament will be 2022, right, uh, it comes down to that. I mean, there's been the, the stigma for the past, what, basically uh, basically since the Clinton administration, since the Republican Revolution of 1994, that the incumbent party always loses the House, right? It always loses a bunch of seats, at least in the House. Senate re- Senate map doesn't really look the, the wasn't best, it, right?
1: Wasn't it like lose, this, lose the Senate, too, up until 2018? Because usually it was like that, I heard, I thought.
2: Well, it's, it's harder to lose the Senate just because of the way it's bifurcated, but, like, you know, House races, it's every two years. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, like, And it's not just since 94. I thought it's like since the founding. There's only been like four... Times when like the ruling party didn't lose seats in the midterm. It's definitely gotten much more pronounced in the past. The past few years. I mean, the what the
0: Republican Revolution in 1994 was like 60 seats. I think the uh, Tea Party took the House back since uh, since FDR. The the Tea Party one was about 40 seats, uh, and this last one was 60 seats. So it's more than likely going to happen in the House at least in 2022. When you say this last one, what do you mean? I'm talking about 2018. No, it was was 60 seats.
2: It was was 40. Oh, 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 oh,
1: 40 seats up for election. I'm sorry. No, no it was, it's, we lost forty seats. We lost forty seats. Yeah, 2018. Yeah, I thought 2018 was one of the lowest losing of uh, for the majority party. Or I would ruling understand
2: party. why you would think that uh, because you support Trump, but that's not true. I'll take it um, back. It was 41 seats. 41 seats. Well, shocker! I was right. The uh, GOP
0: lost it. But I swear be my that dad as may that. be that as it be that as it may. Um, how do y'all feel the GOP can rebuild? Do you think it can rebuild in the suburbs and, and get back rural voters while maintaining the white working class voters that, that Trump very much so elevated? How do you how do you see that happening in the, in the over the next decade or do or do you inversely see a uh, a continually blue wave, blue Senate, a blue House, and maybe a blue Tennessee, uh for the next uh, decade or so, Colby?
1: Um, I mean, I really don't think you have to worry about the rural voters too much because. Unless like the left suddenly grants a bunch of farm subsidies for some reason, but uh... I mean, I feel like that's
2: a real concern. Like I feel yeah. like they would do that. I've uh, never think heard so of them too. Doing it. Well, I they think know, it, they they started all those farm subsidies. Oh, they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah FDR man. It starts starts right it starts around then and uh,
0: stuff like that. So so yeah. Do you see uh, do you see the GOP rebuilding? And do you think we could win in twenty twenty two and twenty twenty four and beyond? Or? I doubt it. I really do. I'm not too hopeful. At least for this. the next decade. Right, that I, is?
1: I don't know. I'm, I'm listening to some of the people, like the older people I know that have been involved in politics. Like my old professor, Mr. Johnson, he, uh, he thinks it's very hard to see a Republican president for the rest of his, I guess, life left on earth,
2: which is probably a good, what, 20, 30 years still. How do you feel, Paul? Yeah. I feel
1: pretty good about it. I
2: mean, I know there's a lot of doom and gloom, but it, it does depend. Like, I feel like Trump could hurt us if he, like, tries to come back. And I mean, what if he runs in 2024? That'll be a nightmare. Um, I mean, like he's like, and this has been one of my biggest thing. Like, I think it's good that he got working class people involved with the party. I mean, the Republican party is definitely a working class party now, but I mean, it's not, you, the, the key is to do that while not alienating a huge block of voters. And that's what he did is like, he, he was very unappealing to suburban voters, you know? So like, it's kind of funny. Ironically in 2020, he like increased his portion of like, you know, uh, of the black vote of the Hispanic vote. Uh, but he lost like the white male vote because, you know, Biden was able to put a moderate quote unquote face on the Democratic Party. But why I'm you know pretty hopeful is like I, I mean I don't know about y'all, but I don't think he's gonna run for reelection in 2024. Like it's in I mean I could see Kamala Harris getting primary right. by like literally AOC or somebody even crazier. So. Uh, if it, but if it comes down to Kamala Harris, she's a horrible politician. She's going against a you know a Rubio, uh, um, DeSantis, or even Cruz. Like I I could very easily see Republicans having like a big win. And I'm talk, not like a three hundred three hundred eight like electoral votes. I'm talking like three thirty. Like I could see us. Holding on to Ohio and Pennsylvania and Florida. I mean, Florida is a pretty solid Republican state now. I, I mean, which I is guess. kind of surprising,
1: or at least to me. Well, I mean, I've been keeping up with the trends recently, but it, I just know that it's been close every election I've looked at prior to this one, and this one was pretty.
2: Yeah, pretty, I mean, well, well, I mean, apart. it's not that it's close. It's that like you know, like the Democrats were winning for a while. Well, I mean, like and Trump did win over a lot of working class people. Like in Ohio was a, it's one of those ones that have has been hit very hard by the loss of manufacturing jobs but i mean the reason like you know we're winning ohio is because like their big cities have kind of been hollowed out and it's like what happens so like you have a lot of rural areas like if you look at maps of like michigan it's like detroit is blue and everywhere else is red Mm -hmm. so i could see us like you know winning michigan if we can like hold on to like the suburban you know some of the suburban votes if we could if we could build on our you know the gains made with like you know minority voters i i you know, and this is another thing I had an issue with people were saying, like, you know, you have to go you have to vote with Trump because the left's gotten so crazy, which I mean that's a point I understand, but then they would also at the same time say, like, oh, no other voter would have made gains like in like the white working class or like, you know, minority voters. like, wait, you're telling me two opposite things. You're saying the left's gotten crazier than they ever have, and then you're also saying, like, oh, no other like, you know, Republican would have made these gains. Like, I don't I don't believe that. I, I think any other Republican, like like look at it this way like when the left got this crazy in The '70s, Nixon won 49 states. When the left got this crazy, we lost by 30 like electoral votes. So it's like I'm i think sure. this kind of tells me how like polarizing Trump was. Definitely, he's definitely alienated some voters. The the suburban
0: vote swung in an unprecedented way. 2018 and 2020. starting started really in 2016, but going into the the 2020s, As I say it comes down to uh, 2022 in the House. I, I do see us flipping back a few seats uh, in the suburbs now that now that Trump's not on the ballot, but 2024 are looking out right there. I mean, the new CPAC poll had Trump winning... Uh, it was a plurality I think it was around 45 percent of the the exit poll right the candidates that you know Paul and I would probably agree and, and Colby would agree that are more more populist than than uh than some of the other candidates uh, Ron DeSantis, probably uh the, who's the governor of uh south Dakota uh heidi no uh heidi how do you
2: know i don't know if her name. Uh, but yeah I don't know
0: well be that as may and then there's a uh, there's definitely more a rise of a uh, populist coming in populism coming in the party for 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 better or worse, so I think the ideal candidate is someone who can kind of sort of thread the line, not do it like how Ted Cruz did it, where he alienates both sides, yeah. right? As we as we saw, but someone who can who can get the populists out, the the, uh, the, 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 the sort of get the Trumpsters out, right, but also sort of keeps the other the other key groups, right, the small government minded people, the libertarian people, and the evangelical voters uh, coming out. In this next, okay.
1: I think that you should get the Trumpsters out. I mean this is a small point, but honestly if you if we you get a candidate that even remotely like is similar somewhat to Trump then you're going to get the Trump trumper vote honestly.
2: Yeah, but I mean it depends on like how similar. Like if you get someone too similar you're also going to lose like that I mean that suburban, you know, white voter. Oh no, I don't
1: mean like the the Twitter like the stupid stuff. Yeah, I'm talking about like, hey, let's bring back manufacturing to yeah, the states, and, and actually, and like, I'm going to do my job, sort of thing.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, yeah, I think Josh Hawley is another one who was trying to go up for that, and that blew up in his face. Um, which you know, I was pretty mad about the whole like, I'm going to try to like contest like the results. Like that was it was not going to go anywhere, and that's why I'm kind of like, it's one of those pointless fights. Like, what's the point of doing it if like clearly you're not going to overturn the results of the election, and if you could. I'd say that'd be immoral because I don't think there's enough es- uh, evidence to justify it. But, you know, look, I mean, I think everybody kind of knows where I stand. I'm, I'm a Rubio guy. I think he's like the you know best fit for the party. But at the same time, like, I know there is a lot of Trump people who were specifically voting against that kind of, I mean, I, don't, I think neocon's an overused term, like I said. But, you know, he that's kind of what he's associated with. To the point, though, I feel like we forget. Like, there is a sacrifice for, you know, getting some of these voters, uh, you know, you know, building up these union jobs, like, I do not think in the long run, this kind of, you know, view, like, we have to get these manufacturing jobs back is a small one, like, I mean, look, people don't look at, like, the historical reason, like, why we lost a lot of these jobs in Detroit, like, for the longest time, you know, it was cheaper to ship something from, I think it was, like, from Pennsylvania to Detroit by going all the way down to the Mississippi River and going up it than it was to, like, go the 200 miles, like, you know, it would take to go over land. Well, that's not the case anymore. Now, you know, because of, you know, other kinds of shipping, like, you know, uh, either on road or, you know, via plane, like, there's a lot of, you know, other ways to ship, and then also at the same time, well, you couldn't do any manufacturing in the South because there was no AC. So, like, you would literally die if you had factories there. But <laughs> well, what do we have now? Like, yeah, okay, we yeah. have AC. So, like, a lot of these, like, you know, manufacturing jobs, like, if they hadn't gone to China, well, they'd go to, like, Texas yeah. or Florida or, you know, Georgia. Because, definitely, definitely Texas. Georgia. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I mean, you just, well, Alabama, I think Alabama's leading industry now is, is manufacturing. Yeah, not. I mean, oh. they have, I mean, one, they have a, a lower, I don't know if standard of living is the right word, but lower per prefer- Uh, per capita income. So it's like, okay, well, the the wages are cheaper. They have a lower minimum wage. So uh, that's a point to them. They have weaker unions or no unions at all. That's another point. You know, they have less regulations. Uh, You know, they have better tax incentives. Like, I'm sorry, but you know, I know people like, I don't think it's a zero sum game, but people need to forget like, Look, I mean, a lot of these, you know, manufacturing jobs were, had, had become institutions where, like, they were poorly run. Like, they were overly regulated. Their, you know, wages were non-competitive. So, yeah. you know, like, other states were going to take advantage of that. I mean, it's not like always, like, we're shipping, like, jobs over to China. Like, I mean, to, to, Toyota, they, they have, like, their largest plant, I think, is in Texas. San Antonio, if I'm Yeah, so. Um, I think but, it's Austin. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I was saying it's Austin.
2: Well, uh, that the, that being
0: said, I think I think that there's uh, more worth when we're looking at fiscal policy, future of the future of the economy, right, uh, sort of things. I, I'm not sure that the the future is manufacturing, returning manufacturing job. It's very it's very much so a, a Hazlitt thought, where you're kind of focusing on the short term gain with it, right, You bring back jobs to Detroit. What you would want to do is build up the 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 service sector, right? The uh, the management sector, right? For the uh, for the 2020s, because what we're looking at is AI, more AI driven uh, manufacturing solutions, right? Even more AI driven. Uh, Parts of the economy with the service sector, right? So yeah, you, you I, need more technicians. Exactly, and that's a, that's an issue that I don't think left or the right is really talking about in, in depth, right? With, yeah. it, with it, put it, with putting a practical solution to the table, right? Another thing that I don't think the the left and the right have kind of been talking about, of sorts, is the uh, is the national deficit, national, national deficit, of course, like that, things of that nature. So uh, also well, the shrinking of the size of the government, right? Which is something that. You know, most, most people kind of generally agree. As I say, there's, there's the new deal Democrats who who never would have gotten behind that. But, but it was something that we, you could always support the, the conservatives around. So I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to ask is, do you all see there, there being any hope with a new populist GOP for, for a small government limitation, right? Uh, maybe a return to, to fiscal stability. Paul, how, how, how would you feel about that movement being, being, being a realistic
2: legislation for, well, for the my, second, I guess? my biggest... The gripe with populism is that it's, uh, it, it, I mean, by definition, it's not an ideology. It You know, it's like, okay, like, it's moral good is, like, what the people want. Like, well, for one, like, the people don't know what they want. Like, you know, people can be, like, swayed either way on things. I mean, you know, like, populists can be either left-wing or right-wing. I mean, you could call Bernie Sanders a populist. So, uh, as far as, like, the populists do take over the GOP. Like, I, I'm not hopeful for a a balanced budget by any means because you know populists they i mean they say they want smaller government but i don't think you know in their heart of hearts they're willing to like make any of the necessary requirements that i mean that really any republicans are willing to like the only one who was talked about it was i mean paul ryan did and definitely um Rand paul did like you know seriously it's going to require cuts to the entitlement spending well i mean you know who's the most of that entitlement spending going to you know older you know you know voters who you know basically vote republicans so we don't want to alienate those people so you know the left's talking about actually you know spending more with new entitlements so like you know to get like actual real fiscal conservatives i mean i would like that to happen but i'm not super hopeful that's going to happen in the next 10 years i think we're we're going to become fiscally conservative when we're like forced to when basically other countries won't buy our bonds because you know they don't think it's a safe bet and basically we're forced to at some point raise taxes and cut spending. Like, that's I, that's the only thing I, I... The only way I see us becoming more physical conservative. Yeah, conservative.
0: You, you, there's a, there is to me a, a, a wave of honesty... Right, amongst politicians with that stuff that we can't on the right, we can't uh, we can't blow out spending at the same time cutting taxes for on I mean, blowout spending on military issues mm-hmm. stuff that stuff that conservatives really generally want to, to see reform. I mean, like I'm, I'm talking just just I know this is a bit this is you know, relatively small, but really something like a wall, right? That's uh, something like that. Um, and for on the left, obviously, there's going to have to be a point where. Yeah, you can't you can't tax the rich at ninety percent, uh, and also you know also expect industries to stay in, in cities like you know what industry remains in like uh, Cleveland and you know Detroit cities cities
2: like that. Uh, well, I even again. if you could, I mean, and I'm not saying we should, but like what people are like aware like this like ninety percent income tax over anybody making ten million dollars a year, like AOC and Elizabeth Warren have suggested. Okay, like they've done calculations of that. They said like the tax revenue that would optimistically bring in and that's assuming like people don't leave which they obviously will yeah. but it's like 70 billion a year. Okay, well that's not enough money. Right. You have to broaden out the tax base and that means like basically getting rid of deductions, basically putting more of a burden on the poor and like raising taxes on the middle class. Nobody wants to do that. Yeah,
0: it's a it's a very hard political sell and that's that's sort of what the what the problem is with Having two populist parties now, is so you have the the right wing populist saying well, we're going to bring back industry, we're going to you know we're going to have a have a lower tax base, right? So everyone can you know keep spending out the wazoo, which right very very much so free, a, a freedman thought right now. Yeah. I'm just playing there. Uh, they they've kind of abandoned that, and then obviously in the left, uh, in addition to the the, uh, the the social culture right of uh, of you know canceling people and stuff like that, there's the fiscal side, which is which is hilariously hilariously bad, right? So I I I, Green I New Deal. Oh my God, don't even get me started on that. It, it was published by a mistake. Our our intern posted the wrong one. Cow yeah. farts.
1: Well, it's not Cow farts, y'all.
0: Yeah. Well that the Green New Deal is I think I honestly think the Green New Deal you know, AOC is just going to be remembered as one of the the biggest political fails in history. The fact that, uh, the fact that you know, AOC had all these co-signers, right, who just refused to vote on it because they knew it was they they knew it was a bad deal, right? It's a it's very hilarious, and I think uh, I think the fact that she she failed so hard, but but it does show kind of where the party
2: is is leaning yeah, towards, we say, right? Like she failed, but I mean, it's been adopted. I mean, not not her specifically, but the idea that there will be a Green New Deal. I mean, it's Biden been is pushing that, so. It's, and that's sense, she kind of won, even if, like, her specific bill didn't get passed. Because, I mean, her, obviously it was
0: ridiculous. Her, her specific so. bill didn't get But I think the fact that no supporters yeah. signed onto it... Uh, it shows that she she really didn't have the the of the space of the party. But that being said, and that's a good transition into something else we were going to talk about uh, was the was the future of the Democratic Party, right? I, I mean, well, we've talked about this a lot in depth, right? Uh, do we see the progressive wing sort of taking over? Do we see moderates like, like Joe Biden? I, I'm, no, I'm, I'm hesitant to call i to call Joe Biden call the moderate at this point, but. How how do you see the the DNC shifting, Colby, in the in the next next uh, de- decade or so? Do you think if people like AOC are the the party now, or it, do you think uh, you think the be more Christian cinema? We we're going to win in the suburbs is going to take over that. It's I don't know. no,
1: it's more AOC. If you just it, it's going to go so left. It's they got the opportunity in front of them right now. They're just going to keep going, gunning with it, going gun ho left,
0: left, left,
2: left, left as much as I can. And Paul? uh, Yeah, I'm kind of with Colby. That's why I'm a little more optimistic because, I mean, with the exception of health care, I think Republicans hold winning issues on most things. And, you know, and not to make another argument about this, but I just think, you know, Trump... While depressing Republican turnout uh in some areas and some he like massively expanded it uh, but yeah, I, I think um but he also drove out Democrat turnout. but I think that's you know a, a one-time thing like you know, provided he doesn't run again in twenty twenty four like uh, and provided that Joe Biden can't put the "quote unquote" moderate face on it, yeah, I think a lot of people are like, eh. there,
1: there's no way he's putting on the moderate or moderate face like this time around, like especially oh, with the yeah. the bringing the transgender stuff in sports. There's no way he's holding the moderate. Well, face. I mean, I just don't think he's going to run
2: again. But I mean, oh. if people associate him with being a moderate. I mean, he's like an old white guy who like had very, I say very had some conservative bills like, the, you know, the 1990 crime bill or was it 94? I don't know, the, 94 the, crime, the, the crime bill. I mean, that's, I mean, you know, progressives kind of like to like not look at that but that was, a, you know, a very anti-progressive bill. Uh, I mean, just kind of the way he behaved. He was against, you know, force busing. Kamala Harris called him a racist for basically but, you know, it's neither here nor there but yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, AOC can't pretend to be a moderate. I mean, she'll say, like, oh, well, I'm actually where the middle of the country is and, like, the Republicans are far right. Nonsense. Like, you know, <laughs> a as long as a Republican can not alienate, like, the, the very hardcore Trump voters, which, I mean, you say that the Trump voters will turn up, but, uh, I mean, they didn't in Georgia. You know, that's why we lost those Senate seats. But, yeah, I, I'm hopeful that the Democrats will basically alienate all their voters. Like, I don't see cinema you know and cinema and the joe manchin's really the only true moderate i don't see them dominating the party i see more aocs more elizabeth warrens more of this like not only socialist but also this uh the critical race theory taking over but you know i think if we have a massive you know 370 electoral vote landslide, yeah, the, the Democrats will be forced to, like, maybe, they like... Be honest with themselves, yeah. right?
0: I, I'm not quite sure that... I, I will push back on both of you. I, I'm not quite sure that the the Democrats are going to go full-on left. They might put, try to push the pale with a few things that they are unified on, healthcare reform, right? But, but when you get into, like, brass tacks, there is a lot of disagreement there. And, when, you know, AOC... Or not AOC. Uh, Nancy Pelosi has... Made this evidently clear, right? With their with their uh, with their policy objectives, right? When when they regained the house, right? Um, it was, she said that she said it very clearly after they won. They they won by going into suburban districts, right, and saying we're the moderate guys. We're the look at the look at the GOP. They're over here, crazy Trump, right? Um, and they're, they're it was go- mainly
1: just all look at Trump's tweets. Oh my! Okay. Oh oh
0: god! yes, say, say. But what they did was they, they they painted themselves as moderate. So we we care. We care about healthcare. We care about you, the individual, right? Even though it's even though it's full of uh, BS, they they lose that when they go to uh, to these crazy objectives that that are plainly obvious. I mean, that's why the Green New Deal failed because the moderate Democrat wing, which is still very large, I, I might mad, now especially now that they've they mainly took back the House with suburban voters, right? Uh, is I don't think that they're going to push the pale too too terribly hard, right? But I think it really comes down to twenty twenty four with with that. And I'll ask you all about this as well: Who do y'all see the the front runner as for the Democrats, right? And the, who, someone who's going to be the the future of the face, right? Do you see it as a Kamala Harris? Do you see it as a Michelle Obama? Maybe. I maybe see it is, Jen- I, I think it's Harris. Not yeah, I think it's Harris.
1: Yep. They, they've been, I mean, look if, if she. If the DNC was able to get her as vice president whenever she didn't win, like, what? One primary vote or something? One primary no, endorsement? she won any. Yeah, yeah. If they can do that, she's definitely going to be the face of the DNC, like, Democratic Party now.
2: Well, I mean, they picked her because she, like, picked, uh, she checked enough boxes, but I don't see her, because she's not a very good politician. Like, you know, say what you want to be, but she's a fairly, like, you know, talented politician. So I see, like, an AOC being the future face of, like, the Democratic Party, or, you know, was it uh, Joe Kennedy, like the third, like somebody like him, like some of these uber-progressives. I, I think they, uh, I, I mean, there will be like some moderate sena- uh, senators, but as far as the House goes, like I, I think they're all going to be pretty, pretty progressive uh, until they get, you know, you know, until they lose a the massive election, um, you know. That's how I. That's kind of how I, I break it down. No, I, well, just same. It's going to come back to uh, 2022 then, because
0: if they tr- if they try to push the pale, which I think in some aspects they have, a, it's more of the leftist ideology as a whole right now. That's that's kind of pushing the pale. But that being said, I mean, it's going to come down to 2022, right? If they if they lose in districts that they want to win, right? Texas six, they're they're trying to push right now to get a, a good candidate out there, and if they get to absolutely stomp a 20 point swing, right? They lose in some of the suburbs of these of these conservative cities, like. Like a uh, Colorado's, uh, I think sixth district around Aurora, which is you know a fairly conservative area even uh, by our standards, right? Or uh, suburbs of Houston, right? Or, at least if they lose, they start losing in some of these conservative cities, right, which have more of a conservative background. Yes, I could definitely see them mo- them moderating, but I don't think that that is the the future, right now, I don't, I don't really see them pushing the pale too terribly hard because uh, they won this by moderating, right? They won in twenty eighteen by moderating, and they won in twenty eighteen in twenty twenty by painting themselves as moderates, right? And they kind of lose that image when they they try to give the party to AOC. I mean, that's why Pelosi pushed back on it to begin with, right? With her her new green deal, her
2: Green new Deal, excuse me. Um, and a few other of her policy objectives, right? Well, I mean, she tried to, but I mean, she almost instantly had to back down. I mean, the same thing that happened with us. Like, I think there's a lot more people who are highly skeptical of Trump, but, you know, and the Republican Party, but they just can't say it because of the blowback. So it's just like the same thing. Like, I mean, I'm sure Nancy Pelosi thinks AOC is kind of dumb, but she can't say that. So she has to, like, tepidly try to, like, you know, it's like, well, you know, like, you know, she's she's part of a large Big Ten party. Um, but yeah. I'm, I mean, even though that would be smart, like, I think political parties very rarely do what would be the smart thing. Yeah, I say it's going to come down to 2022. It's, if it's, if it's
0: a, if it's a blowout, right, for the DNC, yeah, I definitely see it, right, but I think they're probably going to hold on, and honestly, I think they'll probably hold on to the Senate, or at least it'll be really close, uh, in my estimate. 2022? Yeah, because the GOP has to, the GOP has to, hold on to so many seats. I mean, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin.
1: Yeah, uh, Shapiro was talking
2: about uh, that. Yeah, the, the Senate map really is not very good. We've we talked about this Well, and the problem is that. is that, like, a lot of uh, senators, incumbent senators are retiring. So Pennsylvania, Pat Toomey, he's retiring. Uh, I think North Carolina, I think uh, Burr, he's retiring. Yeah. Though his was kind of, he was kind of yeah, like a wounded of animal. Yeah, right, right. Okay. Um, but, I mean, look, 2022, Georgia. Like, we could, like, the Republican parties are kind of in disarray, like, in... Yeah, both Arizona and Georgia, which we have Senate elections in there. Um, I and this is another thing. I I this is back to the cult of personality. Like these Republican parties in the states did very stupid things. Like in both states, they censored their own governor because they were like, well, oh, and in Arizona, Sidney McCain for some reason. Like, look, if you're not if you're mad at this person, just like ignore them. I don't understand. Like, you need to make a big show of like the party like taking a stance against like either a governor. Or you know, an individual because you don't like John McCain like, yeah okay.
0: well, let's just look at the Senate member right here. I, I really see that there was two Senate two, two senate seats that you would you'd well, I think most would say, Realistically, could flip from the Democrats' perspective. Uh, Arizona, right, and uh, and Georgia. I think that they're both. I would I would say Georgia more likely than Arizona at this point to flip. But the G from the GOP's perspective, there there's quite a few. There's quite a few seats you'd have to worry about holding on. I mean, Iowa with down ballot raises, does not always vote GOP right. Uh, Air, uh, what? Uh, Wisconsin, right? Uh, I mean, Ohio, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Florida, Florida. I mean, obviously, it's turning more to the right. Right, but I mean it's more seats that the GOP would have to hold on to, and all at the same time put efforts into to flipping. Right, I don't think it's out of the question, given that the Senate is as close as it is. Right, but uh, for a big wave election, I think it's more likely to happen in the House. Right, with the, the yeah. with the with the DNC. Right, just just because like they have so much ground to, to keep hold a hold of. Right, um, and then twenty twenty four the senate map looks a lot better right it was uh, for the for the uh for the democrat or for the republicans that is right um so we we'll, we'll, we'll see about that I, i'm really curious to see how the party unfolds both both really moving forward does, does the dnc go you no know, towards a direction of moderation maybe they keep the they keep a lot of things that they're unified on uh healthcare right probably being the the chiefest amongst them right um and obviously from the gop's perspective because they're also a big a tent party uh let's face it right uh, do they do they go towards the direction of populism libertarianism uh sort of a uh, sort of an, a go between right where you kind of thread the line maybe moderate republican um but that being said i think that's that's really what we'll probably we'll probably chat about this a lot more we just wanted to give a an introductory podcast here uh a little short shorter than our, what we're trying to go for but um, we want to thank you guys. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Colby, for for uh, kind of hosting it, hosting here. Any any final thoughts on on where we stand on some things? Maybe maybe what we're trying to do with this podcast uh, in the future and, and the publication, really. Um, Just yeah. Share ideas.
1: I mean, that's my perspective of it. I'm sorry, I interrupted, Paul. No, you I mean, go ahead.
2: Uh, no, I mean, I'm glad you did. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we the way we set up the host was like we wanted to get the. Uh, all kind of aspects of uh, modern conservative movement. I mean, I guess we could have picked an actual, like, hardcore libertarian, but, I mean, Clay kind of fills that role. I think I'm the more traditional kind of conservative, and I think Colby represents the more working class kind of, uh, you know, I think populist kind of wing of the party. And so, you know, clearly we're going to disagree on a lot of things, but hopefully we'll, you know, come together and, yeah, we'll challenge each other on our ideas because, you know, like we said earlier with the Hitching Post, like, the worst thing you can do is be in an echo chamber and, like, not let your ideas be challenged, though. Oh, right. 100%. Um, yeah. And I think in the future, we're
0: also going to have guest commentators coming come to you from, uh, we know a lot. we know a lot of people in the local political scene that would be happy to, to join us for this one. Jim uh, Baxa. Uh, Jim Baxa, man. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about local politics. There's a lot going on here in Lubbock that we, we'll probably talk about in the future, with the ordinance and, and everything. Um... Uh, for the History Post, we're also gonna to try to bring in some guest uh, guest writers, so people who've wrote written a few few uh, columns for us. So just be just be on the lookout for that. We're really excited. Uh, we're gonna be posting these podcasts bi weekly. Uh so, so expect one of these every two two weeks and say so you're trying to get it on on uh, the website, uh, Apple you can check us out here So hopefully soon on uh, Apple Podcasts and uh, Spotify. But Thank you, thank you guys for listening. Uh, thank you, Paul. Thank you, Colby, for, for sitting down and talking with us. Uh, thank you, Oz, and you all have a, a wonderful day.
1: God bless America and God bless Texas. <laughs>